Good morning, church. I'm I'm glad to be up here. Um, If you are here as a visitor and unaware, um, my name is Kendrick. I'm one of the pastors here at The Crossing. Uh, Today, we are celebrating sending. We want to send out church planters, um, and I am that guy. Uh, And so... uh, Oh, so this is going to be different. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm going to make it. Um, I knew that I would be hit with waves of emotions today. So if anything weird happens up here, you know what's going on. Um, I, I wrote out almost everything I want to say so that we can make this about God as much as possible. This is a work he's doing. That's truly what we're celebrating. The hope that more and more people will worship Jesus. Let's pray. Let's pray. I know we just prayed. Let's pray again. Father, I need you. God, this is yours, all of this. I pray that you would help us this morning as there are no doubt, <clears throat> no doubt a range of emotions in the room. Give us strength. Give us clarity. Give us hope. I pray that truth be proclaimed today in a way that would bring dead souls to life, that would give saints reason to move forward. It is our hope that that this city and any city that we go to have darkness expelled by your light, shining from your people. Praise you for an opportunity to be that Lord, help us as we get through this, knowing that this is not our home, but we long to be with you. We'll continue faithfully, but even when we're not, we thank you for being faithful always. In Jesus' name, amen. So multiplication is what we're talking about. Multiplication is not just the fundamental, uh, the fundamentals to the vision of the crossing, it's fundamental to the church. It's fundamental to the kingdom of God. And so in 2003, October 1st, 2003, Jared and I got lunch at the Daily Press on Forsyth Extension. I don't know what I was eating, probably a panini or something weird. And we just, we barely knew each other. We met like one other time. We just talked. What would it look like for missionaries to come into Monroe? To, to see people who many claim Christianity but may not actually know Christ. And many Christians who have this ideology of feed me, feed me, and and they're not so much making disciples who make disciples. So what would it look like to plant a church as a missionary in a context like that? How could we center everything around the gospel? And and it was exciting. I don't don't ever go back to the Daily Press, but I don't think I've had a lunch there since. It was so exciting to consider what God can and will do. No doubt there are faithful believers at work in Monroe, but that we could, we could exist as a church that makes mission the thrust, that a missional community is essential to be a part of the Crossing Church, that we are a people of God, a family of God, living on mission in everyday life. How can we do that in a way that would re- revitalize churches that are dying and, and bring hope to those who are hopeless and restore brokenness and be a light for Christ? And, and no doubt we hit some kinks along the way. We always say we're working out kinks. 
And no doubt we had some moments of arrogance. We thought we had it figured out and we were humbled. No doubt there have been people who have come in and it wasn't what they thought it was and they got hurt and they left. And we've had some bumps and bruises. But when I think back since that day, God has been incredibly faithful. And I'm very excited this morning to think about what new things he'll do. And I can say that the reason I'm like everywhere emotionally is because I'm very happy and very sad right in this moment. I'm very excited and very full of grief. Because with the life that's going to come, there has to be a little bit of death. And that's so common in Scripture. And when we talk about, you know, sending church planners and sending out new missional communities and making disciples and make disciples, it's so exciting. But as we see it worked out in life, it's also very difficult. It's exhausting. We need to be refilled and refueled. It hurts. We need to be healed. We're reminded again and again we're very human. We're very dependent. We need Jesus. Scott asked me what songs I want to sing, and the very first song I thought of was, Lord, I Need You. I knew I would need to hear that song this morning. I'm glad we sang it before I preached. We need him. And if you can't get to a place where you realize you need him, you will not be useful in the mission. You'll cause damage in the mission. I went back and forth this morning or this week, as I was thinking about what I was going to say, like, do I want to just go on some rants and let some people know what I really think about them? I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Well, I'm not kidding. I thought about it, but I would never. Those people aren't here anyway, right? Uh, I wanted to use the handheld, but I didn't think about how it would be hard to open the water. Um, But what we're going to do instead is be reminded about what we're doing as a church and consider what it's like to move forward. We're going to do that by looking into Acts chapter 20. So if you want to open there, you can. Uh, just to give you some background, the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest, uh, if not the greatest missionary to ever live, was going around all over bringing the gospel to places it hadn't been heard, establishing the church as a church planter everywhere he went. And In Acts chapter 20, we see this scene where Paul is making a journey to Jerusalem where he is sure that he's going to be imprisoned and maybe even killed. And so as he's on this journey, he considers the church in Ephesus. Now, you might remember Priscilla and Aquila and and Apollo. They're the, well, if you're egalitarian, they're all the pastors. But if you're not, as a little inside joke for people who get it. If you're not, then the elders of the church in Ephesus are working with the people to serve and to carry on what, what Paul has planted there. And he, instead of going into Ephesus, he passes Ephesus on the Mediterranean Sea and he lands at this little port city to the south and he calls he, ahead of time to tell the elders, come down, I want to meet with you. Because remember, he's sure he's not going to see them again. And he has some news. He wants to give them a, a Paul-type speech. Typically when Paul gives a speech in, in Acts, it's, it's to the non-believers, to the pagans, those worshiping other gods, and it sounds different than what we're about to read. To this group of people, his brothers and his sisters, whoever's gathered there, the leaders of this church in Ephesus, he's, he's wanting to remind them of some things. It sounds a, a lot more like the letters he wrote to Timothy and, and to Titus, and 
the letters he wrote to the churches. He's wanting to leave them with something. It's almost like he, it's the last thing he's going to say to them. And so it, it seems like we should go into this knowing it's important. There's a weight to it. But also, there's going to be some emotions involved. And so I, I want to draw from this. In no way do I feel like I'm Paul, just so you know. Uh, certainly, I don't have the influence that he would have on the church in Ephesus. But he was only there for three years. I've been here for six, so I don't know, maybe. I'm just kidding. But I, I want to consider, as we read this text, some things we could draw out and apply to our situation here. And I will tell you what those things are before we even read it. it first, there's going to be two points. First point is we must grieve loss. So the emotions are valid. We must grieve loss while rejoicing in hope. Let's grieve loss while rejoicing in hope. And the second point is we must keep giving ourselves in love and sacrifice to the mission because that's the most important thing. I'm not going to read all the passage. I wanted to try to keep it brief. There's no guarantees it's going to be brief. I'm going to draw out some things. I want to encourage you to read chapter 20 as a whole later on, but I'm going to draw out a lot of it starting in verse 20 um, just to kind of paint the scene. Imagine Paul with this group of guys. I picture him as this kind of short, skinny, brown man with a big, thick beard. You can picture him however you want, but that's probably what it looked like. And and he's got energy about him. You know, this guy who never quit. He's also got scars and wounds because he's been beat in basically every city he's ever been in. He's probably got some worn-out wrists and ankles from shackles that he's worn. And he's not stopping. He's pushing forward. He's got a mission. There's nothing more important to him, and he wants to get this message across. Like, there's hope. Let's keep moving forward. I'm not stopping until they kill me. You don't stop either. That's his message in this moment. So be in this scene with these guys. Verse 20. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks in, in rep of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. So pause for a second. Paul's speaking of the hardships. He's speaking of the suffering. He, he's letting them know, I know I'm going to suffer. Because you don't, you don't become a Christian, especially in this context, but even in ours, without some pushback. There should be affliction. There should be suffering. That's a theme all throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament. It's not maybe it's going to be hard. It should be hard. In fact, the Spirit has told him personally he will suffer. That's the only thing he's sure about as he heads to Jerusalem. Verse 24, But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus. And then he defines ministry for us. So catch this. The ministry is to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Nothing is more valuable than testifying to the grace of God. That's the good news, that God is gracious. Even his very life isn't considered 
more valuable than getting that news out. So he goes on to remind us, we're going to skip a, a bit of a chunk, he goes on to remind them the full counsel that he proclaimed to them. He warns them that there's going to be some that come in and try to dissuade you and, and move you in different directions. Stay faithful, guard the truth, continue in the work, keep moving forward, and pick it up in verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. I think that's a key phrase for us. I commend you. This is what he's commending them. His last thing he wants them to know. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up because you're going to need it. It's able to give you the inheritance that you long for. That's where your hope lies. All those who are sanctified get this inheritance. You've been encouraged and equipped, he's saying. Now go and encourage and equip. That's your job. The whole church is going to be edified by this. Verse 35. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus. How he himself said, it's more blessed to, blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. Even Paul, so confident and sure, full of hope, was weeping. Everybody was weeping. And they embraced Paul. The literal translation for this is they fell on his neck. So imagine the emotional weight in this moment. This man they love so deeply, who's invested so much in them, the emotional weight, their bodies are collapsing under it, and they fall on his neck, weeping and praying with him. And kissing him, I'm cool if we skip that part today, being sorrowful, most of all, because of the word he spoke, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So this is my farewell. It's not forever. Certainly I'll see you beyond as we worship Jesus for eternity. Hopefully and, and likely I'll see you in between, but maybe not all of you. We don't know what the future holds, but the truth of this text is so clear to me. And it, it's so full of hope that I want to make this all about the kingdom as much as I can. This is not about Kendrick. It's not about the Crossing Church. This is about the kingdom of God. There's a mission ahead of us. And I hope that my departing spurs the crossing on to greater things for the kingdom. And I have reason to hope that because of, of what this text tells us. God is doing this work. God is the faithful one. He's not done working. He's going to do work here continually, and he's going to do new work wherever his people go. It's not just Kendrick being sent out here. The Crossing Church is sending out leaders. The Crossing Church will continue to send out leaders. That's what the Crossing Church has always been about because there's work to be done. And in fact, the sending is evidence that we've done good work this far. That we're mature, that we're growing in maturity. We're reaching a point where we get to like marry off a daughter if you've raised kids. I can't imagine that day, but I know it's going to be a day like this one, full of sorrow and grief, but such a reason to celebrate. Multiplication should be celebrated. We're not talking about a subtraction here. We're not weakening the crossing. This is multiplication. This is good. Let's celebrate it. That's why we 
have today to celebrate. I want to celebrate. There's reason to be hopeful. The experience is happy and sad, but let's celebrate the happy. And hopefully, I've been a blessing to you. Though it's not about me, I do play some role in this, and I hope that I'm a blessing to you personally. I hope that I've been a blessing to the crossing. I know certainly I've been blessed by this church. I know that I'm going to feel your absence, and I hope that you feel mine. I hope that you notice I'm gone. But it's not just me. The very precious gift that is Amelia Banks is going with me. Praise God, because I would not go if she wasn't. I'd have to hear like an audible voice from God. Go, Kendrick. Your wife's staying here. He wouldn't do that. But I know that uh, her role here has been less noticeable. Uh, She sings occasionally, but that's basically all the time she's in front of you. She serves Like, you guys have no idea. She upholds me so that I can serve. Oh. She has worked hard to serve your children if you have them, making sure they're fed well in the time they're back there. I got to keep going. So, also, my children. The, the bundles of joy that they are, somehow they bring smiles to anyone's face, and when they enter a room, you know it. <laughs> uh, they're, hopefully, they're missed by you. Uh, this is hard, man. Uh, you have been a blessing to them. I'm, I'm very grateful for how you've loved my family. In the months to come, <clears throat> one second. I've never cried in front of you guys. I don't know what to. I'm just <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I'm really good at uh, deflecting with jokes. That's why I said that. All right. Um, <clears throat> I think Jesus probably told a lot of jokes, too. Uh, it's not just our family, though. In the months to come and, the, and maybe the years to come, you're going to send more people to Dallas. <clears throat> you're going to send people all over, hopefully. Uh, the ones I know about for sure, Brock and Molly are planning to move over soon. Joseph McClung and Justin Slauson, his soon-to-be bride Jessica as well, will be coming over. They're going to, Joseph and, and Justin are going to be going to seminary, and they'll be a part of the work in Dallas. And, and there are other individuals, I won't name everyone because some are less for sure on a timeline, but within the next year there are maybe a dozen total of people who have, have made sure I knew that they want to be there. Uh, at some point. So they're planning and prayerfully considering what that might look like. And we have some time. I might share later. I don't know if, what the lunchtime is going to look like. I might share later a little more practical things. Um, but I want to make sure you know this is a season of sending, and it's a season to be celebrated. And so the questions we're going to try to answer with this passage is how do we do that well? We're going to try and pick up speed a little bit. <coughs> So first of all, I said, grieve the loss while rejoicing in hope. Grieve the loss while rejoicing in hope. In case you've missed this last year or so, we've talked a lot about the validating emotions, that God has given us emotions. We went through Psalms and 
really the last several sermons I've preached, a psalm of lament and Psalm 23 and, and looking at uh, Advent series of peace and hope, we talk a lot about this idea of the emotions we feel meaning something. In fact, psychologically speaking, our emotions are a bigger part of who we are than our intellect, but we lean so much more on what we think and what we can figure out. It's so important that we see the emotions matter, and they, they should be validated because they are all over Scripture. It may not be indicative of where you should be, but it's, a, it's definitely indicative of where you are. So it's important to be honest about them. And so that's why I'm being so honest about my emotions. It's okay to be sad. I don't need to pretend like everything's going to be fine. It's okay. There's not going to be any problems. We're all good. That's a lie. That leads to dysfunction, and that's an unhealthy family. And we want to have a healthy family. So verse 37 says there was much weeping on the part of all. And 38 says they were sorrowful. That's significant. These people in a place that we can't even really imagine, doing nothing with their lives but devoting it to this gospel mission, are weeping together. And notice how no one tries to stop it from happening. No one's like, it's going to be all right, don't worry. No one's even saying things that are true, like God's in control. There's no, there's no need for that. They all know that. They're just feeling the emotion in the moment. Pain is necessary. And it's useful. So let me clear it in case it's not clear. Nowhere in Scripture will you find anyone encouraging, stop, stop, stop. Don't feel that emotion. Instead, it's what does this emotion mean? In fact, when it comes to pain, even the pain of our sinful struggles back and forth, this battle in us to, to love God and to pursue His truth and our desires to satisfy the flesh, even that pain and that struggle has purpose. It's meaningful. God's using it. And I, I want to I be vulnerable with you for a minute just about how I'm struggling in all of this so that, so that you can maybe see in your own life how it applies. I, just an insecurity in me, I have a really hard time understanding why anyone would miss me. That may sound weird to you. I'm just being honest. It's hard for me to consider someone might miss me. I really struggle to believe people care about me. Maybe you identify with that. It's not because I'm humble either. It's because I'm profoundly insecure. I'm afraid of not being wanted. And, and I, I don't see myself as valuable in those ways. I'm learning this still in life. I'm being honest of where I am in the flesh, to be clear. It's actually a, a twisted symptom of pride. Insecurity is. It's not, it's, not hum, it's not humility. Don't get it confused. It's pride. I'm thinking about me. And, and when I'm operating out of the flesh and, and thinking primarily about myself, I'm seeking to build the kingdom of Kendrick, and it's a very secure kingdom. The walls are big and thick. Nobody's getting in. And it's, it's evidence of, of a codependency that I have, this needing to be needed, and so even the people that I can somehow bring myself to believe they actually might care about me, I'm constantly searching and I'm constantly feeling fear and anxiety that I'm going to fail them at some point and they're no longer going to want me. There's some wounds in there. And it hurts and it's not fun to try and think about it. I would rather deflect and act like everything's cool and make a bunch of jokes and be that fun guy who never builds deep relationships because he's terrified. 
That's me. And in general, in my default setting, I'm highly skeptical of absolutely everyone. So pray for my wife. She loves me. I know she does. I just refuse to believe it so often. I find my value in the stuff I can provide for her. So if I feel like I'm failing to provide for her, I'm terrified. And when I'm terrified, I'm very selfish. That's who I am. When I can't believe the truth, that's who I am. And so you can imagine how a shepherd like me feels leaving his sheep. It's been hard. Because I don't want to fail my family. But don't rush to comfort me. Don't, don't be like, there, there, Kendrick, it's okay. We're going to be fine. Don't tell me that. That's not what I need. Instead, I need to feel the pain. I need to know it hurts. I need to realize how helpless I am. I need to see how dependent this man is because I'm very prideful. So if you, t- if you try to comfort me, you're going to be doing the wrong thing. If you try to take away the pain, if you try to tell me to stop crying, that's the exact wrong thing. So don't do that for me. Instead, remind me of what's true. Don't lie to me by telling me it's going to be fine because you don't know that. In fact, it's not going to be fine. It's going to hurt. I'm going to have a lot of days in Dallas where I'll be like, should I be here? Why did I leave? The crossing was so comfortable. People liked me there. They needed me. They valued me. I'll just go back to that. That's where I feel safe. So hear hear what I'm saying. God uses the pain to lead me somewhere I need to be. I need to feel everything I'm feeling. I need to fully feel it so I can be amazed by his grace. I need to know how weak I am, how dependent I am to be humbled, to see how big my God is. That he took something so broken and he set it aside. I also chose that song. So sometimes I think I'm awesome because I'm a sinner, and sometimes I hate myself. Either way, it's all about me. Sometimes I think I figured it all out. I'm doing really good. Everyone likes me. And sometimes I'm like, does anybody like me? Am I doing anything right? And, and I know that you guys are dealing with the same struggles. And so hopefully I'm freeing you right now to be honest about it. I'm tempted to find my comfort or dis- in, in stuff by distracting myself with food or with jokes or with the office or with comparing myself to people who are not as good as I am. You know, I find them. I'm doing better than that guy, so I guess I'm all right. I didn't point at anybody in case you thought I did. Although, I'm just kidding. <sighs> Deflect with jokes. Seeking whatever is easy and accessible just to satisfy the fears and make myself feel comfortable. I constantly search for ways to, to feel like I'm in control of something. I try to find value in assessing how much I'm needed by everybody around me. It's really sad. 
when I look at my life, I feel sad about it. And sometimes I feel disgusted about it. That's who I am. And I can easily be controlled by the fear and anxiety and pride and lust and anger and, and fear of anger and, and depression. I can easily be controlled by those things when I think about it as a sinner. And here's the truth. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love for me, made me alive with Christ. Even though I was dead in my sin, I am saved by grace. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer me living this life, but the life I live, I live in Christ. He's living through me. And the life I have to live in every situation with all the emotions, I'm not alone. He's always with me. My Father is always holding me. He's never abandoned me. I don't have to be afraid of anything that comes my way. God is always faithful. He who loves me gave himself for me. It's true. He really does care. He showed it. He proved it to me. So I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of that God. And I can't know that grace if I keep trying to figure out how to maintain my own strength, my own power, and put up my own walls and build my own kingdom and feel safe and secure exactly where I am. I've got to abandon all of it. So I'm being sent. This sinner, this broken sinner is being sent for our sake he made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might be the righteousness of God so I don't have to talk about myself as that sinner anymore I'm righteous I'm valuable I have purpose in fact I'm an ambassador for Christ I'm a light that shines into every dark space that's who I am I'm a child of the God, the King of the universe. I'm His Son. And I have this truth to proclaim in every space I enter where there are broken people like you, like me, who need to hear this truth again and again and again because we're so broken, we'll keep returning to our vomit like a dog. We'll keep washing ourselves with filthy rags because we think that makes us righteous. That's who we are. And then we remember the truth again, how we've been made new creations. The old us is not who we are. That's dead. We're alive in Christ. The life I live is not my own. I live it for him with every breath I take. Every time my alarm goes off and I wake up, it's not my day. It's God's day. What can I do for God? And now, God makes his appeal through us, these sinners. These broken vessels made whole. God called me, equipped me, and sent me to you as your pastor for this appointed time. And now he's sending me to pastor another people. Why well, take so much time to be vulnerable in those ways? Well, as your pastor, at least for the rest of today, I feel burdened that you feel the weight of your own sin, and I hope you do. I don't know if someone's tried to tell you you're good enough. Well, you're not. That's the truth that you may see and taste the sweetness of God's grace. You have to be there. You have to be low and vulnerable, but not buried in shame. Because he lifts it. He took it on himself. He, he bore the shame on the cross with joy and grief. 
the same moment. And I also want it to be evident to you that anything you love about Kendrick, any good that I've been for you personally or for the crossing has been a gracious gift of God. Every bit of growth through my teaching and leadership has been a gift of God. Our Father has loved you through me, and I praise him for that, and I want you to praise him for that. I want you to be very aware of how broken I am, so that's why I was honest about it in front of you, so that you're not dependent on me, be dependent on him. It's really not me. I'm not trying to sound humble. I just realize I'm not the one doing this for you. He's the faithful one. He's always faithful. A shepherd is being sent out, but the great shepherd is leading us all in this mission that belongs to him. So I look forward to celebrating with you as Paul does with the Colossians in Colossians 2. For I may be absent in body, but I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and and overflowing with gratitude. We have to continue to be grateful. Which brings me to the last point. We must keep giving ourselves in love and sacrifice to this mission. At the crossing, here's our vision. We desire all people to enjoy Christ always through following him and being changed by his gospel. That will continue to be the drum we beat. And though we're not going to be the crossing church, Dallas or Oak Cliff, we will carry that vision with us. Maybe not word for word, but that's, that's who we are. That's who I am. We want to see all people enjoy Jesus. So we're going to bring that with us to Dallas. And we're going to contextualize to that culture, to those people. We're going to spend some time learning what the needs is precisely are. And we're going to bring hope by God's faithfulness and by your grace in supporting us in every way you can. And I didn't shrink back, this is Acts 20 again, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you in public or house to house, testifying of the repentance towards God and the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Dallas, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. We don't know what the future holds, probably not prison, but maybe if it gets crazy, I don't know. But we know it won't be easy. Suffering is expected. In fact, it's promised by our Lord. If the gospel we preach isn't offending anyone, there's something wrong. We have to be ready for the suffering as much as we can be. We're counting up the cost and we're moving forward. Verse 24 really the, the nail in all of this. I do not account my life of any value, and I want you to think of this for you. Do not count your, your life as any value or precious to yourself. If only that we've, we may finish the course and the ministry that we received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel, the grace of God, that is what gives us value. That is our purpose. That's what freedom from the tyranny of self looks like. There's no codependency there. There's a mission there. Paul's value is found only in who he is in Christ and what he can accomplish for the kingdom of God. That's the mission of God no matter what comes. And I want to say with him that 
if you take everything I value from me, even my own life, I'll keep moving forward in this mission. I want that to be true of me. I want that to be true of you. I remember back in college, I went on a mission trip, and I came home, and I told my mom. (laughs) My mom's here today. I'm grateful. I love you. I sat down with her at the kitchen table, and I was like, Mom, I want to do this. I want to go wherever I can. I want to proclaim the gospel. I don't care what happens to me. I'm just going to go for it. And she was like, I love that you love Jesus. I don't know if these are your exact words. Here's how I remember it. I love that you love Jesus, but I'm your mom. You can't say that to me. I want you to be so passionate about this mission that you scare your mom, is what I'm saying. Give everything to this. I need it to be really clear to you. If I can say anything else with my last breath before you as your pastor, there is nothing you want to do with your life that's more valuable than this. There is nothing you could possibly dream for yourself that is more meaningful than this. All of you, every ounce of energy, (coughs) give yourself to it. Fully jump in this with me. Let's be all about this mission. And what we have preached from the beginning of this church hasn't changed. We love God, we love people. And we obey him by making disciples. We got to figure out what that means for every context, for every people we encounter. We got to figure out what that means. How do we love them? Not shame them or correct them or, or impose our, our obedience on them because that makes them Christian somehow. But how do we love them exactly as the person they are, wherever they might be, and bring them into this family? How do we bring them into this family so they can love Jesus like we do and then repent of their sins? How do we uphold the love of God over our doctrine? That's the reason we pushed forth the emotion so heavily this last year because we're in danger. We're in danger if we make it all about theology and miss theo, the Greek word for God. So don't hear me like skirting around anything or being soft on anything. Like totally miss me with that. That's not the mission. Making people believe exactly what you believe is not the mission. How arrogant for you to think you know exactly what there is to be believed. We're all sinners. Did you miss that part? We're all broken. We all are hopeless and helpless. We all need our Lord. If we can be there and then look up to God instead of demanding everyone look up to us because we figured it out, that's how we're going to be effective in the mission. That's how you give yourself to this. Hopefully that's something exciting for you, that you could be beat and broken and lose everything and still be full of hope and joy. That should be freeing for you. And, And here's what we hold on to, God. That's what I'm commending to you. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. We believe the gospel, we connect in gospel relationships, and we live gospel-changed lives, confident that he has us. All of this centered around the gospel truth. God and his word of grace, building us up, giving us inheritance. And verse 35 reminds us that it's even better for us to give everything of ourselves than to take anything for ourselves. It's, we're, we're greater, we have greater blessings when we give up everything. It doesn't even make sense, but that's the kingdom of God. 
And ultimately, Jesus demonstrated this, so don't miss the gospel in all of this. Jesus lived his life perfectly, then he gave himself up. And though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself. That's, our, that's, the, that's the, the model we're following. <coughs> Empty yourself by taking on the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. They can't help but to confess Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When you believe the liberating gospel, picking up your cross and following Jesus is the only thing that makes sense. The sacrifice then becomes no sacrifice at all because we gain everything. It's my hope that the mission and vision of the Crossing Church would be embodied in even greater, unimaginably great ways because I'm being sent out. Because we're marching forward in this mission. Because of the pain. The gospel will be heard by more people. The kingdom of God will grow. And as I look across this room and I see these faces of people who have been so meaningful to me, I consider where we've been, some of the ways we've wept together, some of the energy and the sleepless nights, the exhaustion, some of the mistakes I made along the way. When I think about the people who aren't in this room, I'm so overwhelmed with joy. Because God's faithful and he's in control. And this is exactly the moment he knew would come. So we celebrate with excitement. We celebrate. <coughs> we can be sorrowful while celebrating the hope we have that God is faithful. He'll continue to work. So may, may all the people in your life know Jesus and worship him for eternity with us, and enjoy him for eternity with us. May everyone you know and everyone you come in contact with know this Savior and his gospel. But first, you have to believe it's true. And you have to believe it again and again and again. That's the life of a Christian. You're not good enough. He is. Let's depend on him. Let's march forward. So I'll leave you with this. Do you believe the gospel? Let's pray. We did it, God. I know this is not an ending. It's not even a culmination of things. It's a step in this mission to establish your kingdom to every corner of this world that every people, every nation, every tongue would celebrate this grace. Help us testify to the goodness of your grace in every space we enter. For the people in this building right now who belong to the crossing, for those who are just visiting, for those who are just here because they love me. God, I'm so grateful for all of it. But God, I long for nothing more than for you to be worshipped, for us to see our neediness and to praise you for providing all we need in Christ. We turn to you now in this time of worship to give tithes and offering, to partake in communion, to sing songs of praise, Lord, be worshipped. Be glorified in this work and ascending. Be glorified in all that's to come. 
that we would be faithful to the best of our abilities and sure that even when we fail, you are faithful always. In Jesus' name, amen.